Hey, we're so glad you decided to join us on YouTube. You're about to hear a message from our teaching team. We hope this message helps equip you for freedom and to find purpose in your everyday life. We stream our online services every Sunday. You can visit us at freedomhouse.cc live to connect with us and become part of our online campus. We know that you're gonna enjoy this message you're about to watch. Well, I, uh, as we kick off this series, I just want you to know that my name is Penny Maxwell. For those of you I have not personally met, uh, my husband and I are the senior pastors here at Freedom House, uh, and he is actually speaking at our Lake Norman campus today. And then we also have Pastor Diana Henderson, who is speaking at our South End campus. Her and her husband are the campus pastors there. So we have live teachers and speakers at all of our campuses because honestly, Video venue is just not the way God told us to do church. God told us to have the smell of the sheep on our clothing, to get out in the lobbies. I mean, just to pipe us in, you might as well stay home and watch TV is how we see it. So that's just how we do it. And, uh, and so as we're kicking off this series, actually it's our second week in, this series without a doubt is a series on faith. It's a series all about faith, and I wanted to give you this little thought because I thought this was amazing. If you didn't know this, some of you may have, but your emotions travel 80,000 times faster than your thoughts do. Get that in your mind for a second. Your emotions travel 80,000 times faster than your thoughts. Some of the husbands are like, oh, I know that. I'm married to that. I know that. It's actually all of us, but 80,000 times faster than our thoughts, which is why if you've ever gone through a situation that is extremely exciting or extremely depressing and hurtful or toxic, no matter the high or the low, whenever we go through situations like that and our emotions are on overdrive, we can freeze up. We can literally blank out, we can go numb, we almost can be paralyzed. And, and I know that's happened to me before. I had a situation one time where I had to call 911 and when the operator asked me what my address was, I was so in the moment, I was so just over the top, I, I couldn't even remember where I lived. And my thoughts hadn't caught up with my emotions yet. And I think my husband has gone through this before too. When I was having our first child, who um, is our son Colby, he will be 22 this year. When I was having Colby, um, things didn't go exactly as we planned. They ended up having to do an emergency C-section on me. And so they wheel me back in the operating room. Things are kind of flying fast. And, uh, and I just figured, you know, hey, babe, I, I'm going to do all the hard work. If you could just, you know, they didn't have iPhones back then you could record on. So I said, I'm going to do all the hard work. If you could just hold the camcorder and record, I would greatly appreciate it. So it was a little traumatic. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was a C-section. It was an emergency thing. And so my husband was a little traumatized by the whole thing. And so when we get home a few days later from the hospital and I go to look at the video of my beautiful baby boy, there was a black cap that never came off the end of the camera. And I thought all you had to do was press the red button. Go figure. So two years to the day later, my kids, my first and second have the same birthday. Two years later, I thought, babe, this is a good time for you to redeem yourself. July 16th, 1999. You can redeem yourself. It was planned out. We, we knew we were having the C-section. It shouldn't have been that big a deal. We go in. They check me in. They put all the little tubes and stuff. We go, wheel back into the room. Things happen. I have this little girl who's the most beautiful thing. A couple days later, when I get home, I just want to look at the video of my beautiful baby girl. But he forgot to press 
the red button. I'm like, you had one job. One job. Press the button. I've been carrying this child for nine months, and now they're cutting me open. I just need you to press a button. A little less than two years later, go to have my third child. Scheduled C-section. You roll up in the doctor's hospital. You roll up in the hospital. They prep you for surgery. You go back to have your surgery. Now, granted, granted, it was a little traumatic because how many of you know when you're having a C-section, it's really good if your epidural works? So we had a little bit of trauma going on. And I promise you, I was feeling it more than my husband was. And, and so the doctor realizes my epidural didn't take. And so the anesthesiologist actually has to knock me out quick. They get the baby out. I wake up later. And I have this third child. And a couple days later, get home from the hospital. Can't wait to see the video of my beautiful baby girl. We hit play. And you see, it's like, hey, babe, how you doing? I'm doing good. Then all of a sudden, he jumps up, and it's a shot of the floor the entire rest of the time. <laughs> the floor. The entire birth delivery is a video of the floor. And I said, well, baby, we ain't having no more kids. Three strikes, you out. Like, I am done. I am done. But the point is, is what happens sometimes with our emotions is they can be traveling at breakneck speed. And if we aren't careful to harness them, we'll be living our life every single day out of our emotions instead of off the word of God. And Christians, we aren't exempt of this. I think sometimes we think because we're Christians that... We just, like, everything just comes easy. No, we still got to apply the same principles. And if we aren't careful, we'll be going through life yanked around by emotions and we'll never get off the roller coaster. And we'll never be able to live the kind of life that God intended us to live because we're up, down, all around. So in this series, in this series, the whole entire series is based off of this one verse. James chapter 1, verse 6, it says, But he must ask in faith, how? Without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So what are we going to learn all this month? We're going to learn something so simple and so easy. It's literally this. I will have what my faith expects. I will have whatever it is that my faith is expecting. You know, I heard the story about a woman who um, was struggling every night to get to sleep. It was just a really big ordeal for her to get to sleep. And her husband finally asked her one night, he's like, babe, why every night are you tossing and turning and restless and you're struggling? Like, what's going on? And she said, I just, I have this fear. I have this fear, and I've had this fear for a long time, and, and I just am afraid, like, if I go to sleep, a burglar is going to come in the house. And so she struggles with this for many years, and one night, they're sound asleep. And next thing you know, the husband hears a noise in the house. So the husband gets up, and he goes downstairs and he goes into the kitchen where he hears the noise. And he sees a burglar in the house. And he looks at the burglar and he says, Sir, could you do me a favor? Would you mind coming upstairs and meeting my wife? Because she'd been waiting 10 years to meet you. <laughs> you see, the moral of the story is whatever it is you're believing for, Whatever it is you're expecting is where your faith will be. What is it that your faith is expecting? Because, see, I, I think sometimes we can have a preoccupation with pain and with worry. 
And we end up living our lives in this circle, this pattern, and we don't know how to get out of it. It's very simply this. It's using our faith. I I remember as a kid hearing this phrase, feed your faith, starve your doubt. What does it mean? What does faith even mean? It's very simply this. Trust in God. Simple as can be. Trust in God. How many of you ever been to Scarewinds? Anybody ever gone to Scarewinds before? Come on, raise your hand. Let me see. Let me see. Okay. Online, anybody ever been to Scarewinds? Okay, well, if you're in Charlotte, you should be in this room right now. Next time. Next time. Come see us. So how about a haunted house? Anybody ever gone in a haunted house before? You know what's so funny to me is that we pay to be scared. So what we do is we rock on up at this haunted house. We go on in, and then this ghouly-looking thing jumps out at us. We go, ah, (laughs) and then we laugh. Like, we scream, and then we smile, and we run around again. We scream, and then we start smiling. Well, why are we able to do that? Because, see, you went to the haunted house on purpose. You had an intention. And when you went to the haunted house, you knew that things were going to happen, but you are quickly able to relabel that experience. But what happens is if you are at 3 a.m. in the streets of New York City and you're going down a dark alley and this ghoulish-looking figure jumps out and scares you, you are laughing so much. You're taking off and running. You know why? Because you're not relabeling the experience because you're going, this is actually fear. I need to run. Many of us, we're not walking down the proverbial dark paths. We're actually walking down the dark paths in our mind. And we aren't able to relabel things. We're living in a place of fear, of doubt, and unbelief, and it's paralyzing us. What if we could learn to relabel that and say, oh, (laughs) it's just you. God's got it. How do we live a life of faith? What does that look like? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to stay in this one chapter, and I'm going to give you five things in this one chapter. Boom, 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 boom. Five things from one chapter, exactly how Jesus stays in faith. You can see, if you just follow the path of Jesus and follow his pattern, I love to study all of the gospels where Jesus is out and about and doing things, because if you really look at it, it'll paint you a picture of how to live your life. So let's read in Mark chapter five, let's read what it says. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. I'm gonna give you this, this isn't even a point, this is a freebie, wasn't in my notes, but here's the deal. Whenever you are going to the other side, please expect there's gonna be a crowd trying to get around you. Whenever God tells you, go to the other side, I got another level for you, I got this place I want you to be, Understand the crowd will try to follow you. Then what happens? It says, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus notice his posture, he fell at his feet. Out of all the people in the crowd, this one man comes and falls at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with Jesus, said, my little daughter is dying Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and she will live. It says, so Jesus went with him. There's all these people in the crowd, not just the crowd he left, but he got on a boat, went to the other side. There was a crowd. Why did Jesus say, okay, I'm going to go with you? Did you notice his posture? Sometimes maybe our prayers don't get answered because of our posture. Our posture. What happens next? It says a large crowd, still a large crowd, followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman, same story guys, I'm reading the same story. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had yet 
Instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Can I just tell you, when you are hanging on by a thread, the best thread you can grab is the thread of the cloak of his garment. She touched his cloak. And it says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? His disciples are like, yo, Jesus, that is a really odd question. We've been in three separate crowds of people. You have not one time asked this. Why all of a sudden are you asking this now? Who touched my clothes? Jesus, everybody, okay? Everybody's touching your clothes. You're in a crowd. Everybody's trying to get you. Everybody's grabbing. Everybody's pushing. The crowd is thronged against him. Why are you asking that, Jesus? And he's saying, no, 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 no. Something's different here. You know, it, it was like with Jairus. There's something different here. I feel something that's left. I felt faith leave me. Something here is different. And it says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. It says, and then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, notice her posture, and she fell at his feet. Trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, long before she got down on her knees, her posture was already there. Out of all the crowds, there were two people that Jesus was assigned to. The first is Jairus. And he's trying to get to Jairus' house. The only other person he stopped for was this woman with the issue of blood. So, so first point, how do we live a life of faith? We've got to recognize distraction. Because, see, there's a difference between mission and distraction. There's a lot of people on the mission to distract you. There's a lot of voices saying a lot of things, but we've got to stay focused. Not everyone is supposed to be on your mission with you. Some people are literally sent just to distract you from the purpose, the plan, the place that God has you to go. There may be a whole crowd, but you're not called to the crowd. And so here he is, he's got, got some place to go, and he's going there, he's pushing through the crowd, but there was one, wait, 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 this one, no, this is one, this is legit one, where is she, where is she, okay, you, you're healed. But everybody else did not get his attention. He had some place he had to go. There was somebody that needed him to be obedient to the call on his life, and he could not be distracted. You see, here's the truth of the matter. You can't do big things when people are trying to always pull you into small things. And that's a lie and a trick of the enemy is that we have to pay attention to all the stuff that's going on around us. No, 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 I'm on mission. No, 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 I'm focused. You see, faith takes action and stays on mission. Here's, this is the same, same chapter. I want you to hear this. Same chapter. We're going to keep reading. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. The mission that Jesus is on, the place he's trying to get, some people from the house of Jairus came. And what happened? They said, hey, uh, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Um, don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's dead. She's dead. It says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't get distracted. Don't listen to the crowd. Don't listen to everybody else's voice. Come on, I need you with me. We're going to go raise your daughter. 
Don't listen to the voices that are speaking at you. That's a distraction. You see, if you listen to those voices, you'll never get there. If you listen to those voices, you'll quit. You'll abort the mission. Don't listen to those voices. Let's get to the house. Let's get to the house. Then what happens next? This is going to go into the second point. I want you to hear what Jesus did because Jesus is very specific. We know by reading all the Gospels that there was multitudes around him and his 12 disciples were with him. But what does it say he did next? It says he did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John. Only three of the disciples were going to go with him to the house. Not one of the crowd. Nine disciples were left and the crowd was left. And it says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. There were people wailing and crying loudly. It says, he went to them and he said, why all of this commotion and wailing? He's testing their faith. Why all of the wailing and commotion? One, one, uh, one of the gospels actually says the flute music had begun to play, which means the funeral procession had started. And Jesus is rocking up on this house. He's like, why are you crying? Why are you wailing? He said, the child isn't dead. She's asleep. It says, but they laughed at him. So what did Jesus do when he used his faith and declared that she wasn't dead, she was sleeping? He didn't care that they laughed at him. He upped the ante. Says right after that, but they laughed at him and he put them all out. Get out. Point number two, how do we live a life of faith? After we recognize the distractions, we got to put people out. Put people out. It says he took the child's father, mother, and those three disciples. Those are the only ones with him. You know why? There is nothing that has more faith than a mother and father whose child is at risk. And he said, I want you, I want you, and I want my three disciples, all the rest of you, bye-bye. Out. Get out. Even Jesus, y'all, had to get rid of the distractions. I mean, he's the son of God. Couldn't he just done it anyway? He had to be focused. He was all God, but he was also all man. He had an earth suit. And when you have an earth suit like we do, you got to stay focused. And so he said, uh, uh-uh, I got I to put you people out. So he puts them out. And it says, he took the little girl by the hand and said to her, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Can I just tell you, when you're believing God for a miracle, you better make sure you got the right people in the room. I think sometimes... We let our personalities define how a situation should be instead of the word of God. What do I mean by that? How many of you have ever taken the Myers-Briggs test? Raise your hand. How many of you are a high feeler, F? You got an F in your personality. For those of you who are Fs, you're not going to like what I'm going to say. I'm a thinker. I'm a high T. But I'm going to give you what the word of God says. And we saw what Jesus just did. He put people out. Now, if you're a high feeler and there is somebody that is disrupting you in your life, you're the feeler in you will want to accommodate them instead of going for the goal. You don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to make them upset. I mean, after all, these people were all crying with me and now I'm kicking them out of the room. I mean, they're family members. They're all close to me. They're, they're family. They're friends. They were grieving with me in one minute, and now I've got to kick them out of the room the next? Yeah. You see, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing that we, we have to understand. Putting people out of the room is not cruel. It's called boundaries. 
And when you are fighting for your life or you're fighting for the life of somebody in your world, you've got to understand that is more important than somebody's feelings. You guys heard me a couple weeks ago talk about when my daughter was in utero, Cabal, my second child, and the tumors that were all in her brain. Can I just tell you, we had to put a lot of people out. I mean, we were literally fighting for her life. And not everybody could have a seat at our table. Some people we had to do the shoulder tap to. Why? Because I needed them to be able to faith it up. And if you can't faith it up with me, you can't sit at this table with me because I need a miracle right now. I can't have doubt and unbelief in my circle. And, and you see, what happens is, is sometimes we let people in because they're noticing that we may feel distant. We may, and so we just want to appease them. Yeah, well, I'm going through a hard time. And, you know, my daughter's been diagnosed. That'll either do one or two things. One, it will get pity, which you do not need. It will not change your situation. Or if somebody doesn't know how to faith it up, they'll start telling other people about your situation. And then you got something negative being spoken over your situation when you need life spoken, not death. So I am very careful and I am very guarded when I am walking through something difficult because I need the right voices in my ear. And so just understand, it's not cruel it's called boundaries. So, so how else do we live a life of faith? The next thing is we freeze negative thoughts. Freeze negative thoughts. Let me just tell you how I live my life. I have negative thoughts come at me all the time. But what I will not do, what I determined long ago, is I will not let a negative thought implant itself in my brain. I will not do it. You see, what happens if we let that little acorn plant, we're going to have an oak tree. And so when a negative thought comes my way, I freeze it and I send it back. I will not allow a negative thought to overcome me. It's not that I don't have them. I don't ruminate on them. I don't keep pondering them. I recognize where it came from and I don't sit in that space. That's taken me a long time to do that. And it takes me a while when I'm trying to help other people lead a faith life. You can't have negative seeds planting in your head. Michael, can I borrow you for a second? I'm thinking you might be able to dance. So um, maybe not the kind of dance I'm going to do. Come over here, Michael, because I'm right-handed. And I need to have you on my right side. But, but I... I I think you would be good to help me with this. So I'm going to take you back. I'm going to take you back circa 2002 when Freedom House Church started. And I see a few of your faces. You were here then. But when Freedom House Church started in 2002, you have to understand that Pastor Troy and I started with our three kids who we moved here when they were four, two, and eight months. Okay? So we had five members of Freedom House Church. I was the head custodian. I was head of the setup, the breakdown, head of the, I was the children's pastor. I was the welcome pastor. I was the hospitality pastor. I did everything as did my husband, right? He would literally be preaching and something would happen with the sound. He'd have to run back there, fix the sound, then run back up. We had eye worship that played. Like we didn't have a bunch of musicians. We, like we literally had videos that we would play. And videos wouldn't allow you to do extended. So we had a CD where we could extend, you know, the worship a little bit. Y'all think, I, like there were some seeds planted for y'all to be here today. Trust me. Trust me. So in 2002, I'm the kids pastor. And I have all the kids from kindergarten on up. And I wanted them to understand that, you know, the Bible talks about childlike faith. And so I thought, you know, what I will do is I'll teach you a little bit of childlike faith. Because what I wanted these kids to understand is anytime a negative thought comes their way, they have an opportunity to receive it or reject it. And see, for me, if I can teach somebody that young, then when they're our age... They're not going to struggle with the things that we struggle with. God, will you really come through for me? God, can you really pay my bills? God, are you really going to heal my body? God, are you really going to... Like, they're, they've grown up in it. 
See, some of you guys thought that we just babysat your kids. You didn't realize that the same steak you get over here, they get over there. We just cut it up in bite-sized pieces for them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you one of the lessons that I taught the little kids. And Michael's going to help me. He's unsuspecting, which is what I like. All right. So, Michael, hold this envelope up. So what I did is I gave all the kids in the class that day an envelope, and I had them write their address on the envelope. And then what I did is I gave them these little pieces of paper. And I said, what I want you to do is I want you to write negative thoughts that come into your mind on these little pieces of paper. And so the kids wrote everything from I want to hit my sister to I want to yell at my mom. I ate cookies that I'm not supposed to eat. You know, my teacher, I didn't do my homework. All of these different negative thoughts that are age appropriate for them, right? So what I decided is I would write down a few negative thoughts that maybe we have that would be more age appropriate for us. Maybe things like anger or shame or hurt or let's just say being afraid, fear being lonely, any of those type of things, feeling broken, not enough, any of those type of things. So what I had the kids do is write all of those negative thoughts down, and then we're going to put them in this envelope. These are all the yucky thoughts, right? Mike, we haven't even got to the hard part yet. You just opened an envelope. Thank you, Michael. Okay. Your wife opened the mail at your house? Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. All right. So, so what happens is I had them put all the negative thoughts in the envelope. And I told them, I said, every time a negative thought comes your way, you have an opportunity of whether you receive it or whether you return to sender. Every single time a thought comes your way, you can choose to accept it or you can choose to reject it. Hey, it's being sent your way. I mean, it's labeled to you. But you see, what happens sometimes is is we take the package and we don't realize where it came from. And they're like, oh, man, this is 666 hot highway straight out of the pit of hell. Like, why am I accepting this? Like, what's wrong with me? This doesn't belong to me. Return to sender. And if we're not careful, we're going to keep taking things that we aren't meant to have. We're going to keep opening the mailbox and bringing it into our life. And it's not meant for us to keep. And so, so what I decided to do that day, Michael, is I thought, how do I really get this point home to the kids? Because I really want the kids to remember this. And so I remembered my mom and one of her favorite songs that I would listen to in the back of her pinto I remember laying in the back seat, and I remember this old Elvis song. How many of you in here are millennials and don't have a clue who Elvis is? (laughs) I'm going to take you back. Now, he wasn't necessarily in my genre, but I still knew the song. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach this to the kids because I want them all week long singing this in their mind and knowing that it's as easy as returning it back to where it came from. So will you guys play this song for me? You know some Elvis. Give me some Elvis. Don't give me John Travolta. That's 70s. Yeah, come on. I gave a letter to the postman. He put it in his sack. Give me some, come on. Bright and early next morning. He brought my letter back. She wrote upon it. Return to sender. Come on, if you know it, sing it. Address unknown. Come on. No such number. Come on, that's like 80s. No such song. We had a quarrel. A lover spat. I write, I'm sorry, but my letter keeps coming back. So then I dropped it in the mailbox. This time I'm gonna do it different. I'll send it special D. Bright and early next morning. It came right back to me. She wrote upon it. Return the sender. Address unknown. No such number. 
no such zone, so I'm sending it back. This time I'm gonna take it myself and put it back. I'm taking it, I'm giving it right back. And if it comes back the very next day, then I'll understand. Y'all, last time. Address no such cinder. No such number. No such zone. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Here's what I want you to know. First thing, I want you to be so disturbed that you are singing that song the rest of the week. As crazy and silly as this is, the kids love it. Because it's just a simple truth that we complicate. The devil will try to give you something, you recognize where it came from, and you send it right back. Send it right back. Okay, okay. There's one more thing we're going to do. I need you to do me a favor. Can you give him one of those potatoes? Just toss it to him. Okay, and then you go down over there on your end, and you, you give it to him on the end, that potato. See, here's the last thing that I, I showed the kids, because and I want to show you this today. Did you give it to him? Yeah, you go too. I might need you. You go sit on the front row beside him. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, so I need you to scoot over this way. Okay, and starting in between you two, y'all are on, this is team one, this is team two, the whole front row. And let me tell you, it's a competition. It is a competition. So what we do in kids' church, okay, is on those potatoes. How many of you have ever, ever played hot potato? So on those potatoes, we have negative thoughts written on them. And what's going to happen is when that potato comes to you, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take that potato. It's hot potato. It's hot, so you got to get rid of it as fast. You, you cannot hold on to that potato, Right? You're going to take that potato, you're going to pass it down to here, and then you're going to pass it right back, and then once you get it, you're going to run it up to me. Same thing. Come down here, right back. Once you get it, you're going to run it over to me. First one in my hand wins. This is a competition. You, you get it? All right. So here's the object of the game. First thing is it has to touch every single person. It can't skip you. Okay, you can't skip people. It has to touch every person, and you have to get rid of it as fast as you can. Okay? So I'm going to count down three, two, one. Do you all know the instructions? Yes. Kids, kids, <laughs> Ferris, Ferris, we good? Okay. All right, so we're going to count down three, two, one. And when I do, not yet. We're, I said we're going to. And when we do, the music's going to come back on, and you all are going to sing with me while they're doing this. You ready? Three, two, one. Come on, hurry, hurry, hurry! Oh, you skipped! You can't skip! You heard me say! You gotta go back! Go! Keep going! He put it in his sack Bright and early next morning You see what happens? You see what happens when we don't follow the word of God? We lose out! The whole point of that is just so you know, it's a funny little silly thing, but it, the point is just so you know how easy it is if we realize, ah, why would I, why would I hang on to this? Why am I hanging on to this? See, what we're doing is we're like putting it in the oven, putting sour cream and butter and, and chives on it and keeping it and making french fries and God's like, no, no, those are negative thoughts. I, I didn't give you those. And we're inviting them into our life to take up residence and stay. Psalms 100 says, enter with the password of thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him and worship him. You see, I think what we think sometimes is we think if our pain is spoken loud enough that it'll get an audience with God. And he's saying, no, no, no. I don't want your doubts. I don't want your fears. I want your faith. Proverbs 4.23, carefully guard your thoughts because they are the source of true life. 
2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every single thought and make it obedient to Christ. Next thing, how do we live a life of faith? We replace the thought. You freeze it, then you replace it. What does that mean? It means meditate on things that are good. You saw Jesus replace the thought. Jesus didn't just say, she's not dead. He said, she's not dead, she's... You see, some of you are calling your situation dead when it's just sleeping. You you don't take the negative thought and just get rid of it. You replace it. You replace it with what the word of God has to say. He's like, "She's, she's not dead. She's sleeping. She's asleep. Even if people laugh at you. Your situation may look impossible. How can your marriage turn around? How can the healing thing that you're believing for turn around when the doctors gave you a bad diagnosis? God can turn anything around. And if we meditate on Philippians 4.8, it says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or if it's praiseworthy, think about those things. Those are the things that we think about. That's why the Bible gave us the armor and included in the armor of God is the helmet of salvation. It protects our thought life. Last thing, last thing, number five. How do we live a life of faith? Don't be spiritually anorexic. What does that mean? Anorexia is not just limited to people who refuse to eat food physically. It is those who are abstaining or who have lost their appetite for spiritual things. If we want good things to come out, we've got to make sure that we are feeding on good things. We just finished an entire series on the word of God and how we have to have it buried in our hearts. So I'm not going to stay on this one point long. Go back and listen to all of last month's messages if you missed any of them. Because the word of God is what we have to feed on. If you notice, as soon as death came out of her, what did Jesus say? Feed her. When death comes out of you, you better put something in its place or the devil will fill it. Feed on the right thing. You know, I was having this conversation with the Lord, like how how do we as a society, how do we go so negative all the time? And I started thinking about this. Like a good chunk of our jobs are looking for what's wrong. I mean, think about it. If you're an accountant, you're looking for the infraction. What doesn't add up? If you're a lawyer, you're trying to, disprove or prove if you're a doctor you're looking over somebody's body because something hurts you're looking for the pain if you're a reporter don't even get me started (laughs) y'all know i'm gonna skip over that one if you're a mechanic you know my poor mechanic i'll take something in he's like what's wrong i'm like i don't know it makes a noise where's the noise under the hood i don't know I take it in because something's wrong. And so he's trained to look for what's wrong. A teacher, what does a teacher do? Circles the wrong answer. A counselor is trying to find what's wrong, what needs mending. A lifeguard is looking for someone who's drowning. A systems manager, they don't focus on all the systems that are going right. They focus their attention on what's going wrong. So it's so easy for us to look for what's wrong because we're trained to do that. We're literally trained to do that. What if instead of looking for the sickness, we started looking for the healing? What if instead of looking for the brokenness, we looked for the mending? What if we changed that around in our mind and got God's perspective? I, um, two years ago, I'm going to close with this. Two years ago, I was leaving a night of worship that we had. It was, um, we call it encounter. 
And I stayed after talking to some people for a while. And so as the lights were getting shut off and all that, there was a young girl standing back on the left-hand side of the auditorium. And she was crying, and she asked if she could talk to me. And I said, sure. And again, all the lights, everything had been shut off. And she asked me to pray for her. She said that she was struggling with heroin. That her whole life was just a mess. She was abused physically and sexually growing up. And that she was just ready to end her life. She said, I can't see myself ever getting free from this addiction. It, it numbs the pain of what's happened to me. And so I said to her, I said, well, we're going to pray right now. And we're going to break this over your life. I said, are you okay if I pray with you? And she said, yes, please. So I began to pray over her. And I started telling her how beautiful she was how much God loved her, how he adored her. And she was shaking her head no, like, like I'm not beautiful. I'm not lovely. I'm not, and I said, I said, time out, hold on. I stopped praying. I said, listen, if you want me to pray for you, you better shake that head yes. I said, because we're going to get somewhere. I'm not just praying for no reason. We're going to get somewhere. And she said, okay. So she started shaking her head yes, and I just prayed over her, praying for chains to loose off her, praying for this addiction to leave her. And I said to her, can you see it? Can you see yourself free? And she said, no, but I want to. So I prayed over a little bit more. And I said, can you see yourself free? She said, no, but I want to. I said, all right, all right. We got to do a baby step here. So I called my team in and I made them come and flick all the lights on in here. Turn all the stuff up on the platform. Flick all the lights in the auditorium on. I said, you need to come with me. And I brought her up this side of the steps brought her over here, and I stood her up here on the platform with me, and my, my PA, Betty, was with me. Betty was standing right there. And I said, okay, there's 1,100 seats in this auditorium. Can you see people in them? I said, I know the room is empty right now, but can you visualize people in them? She said, yeah, 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 I can do that. I said, okay, baby step, right? Baby step. And I said, all right, can you, can you visualize yourself telling all those people whose faces you see how you got freed from heroin and from your past and from your hurt? Can you see that? She said, I, I think I can. And I said, okay. But, so I kept talking to her. And I said, you just keep saying I'm free. And I said, start telling everybody that's in here today that you're free. She started saying, I'm free, I'm free. Then she started saying, I got this, I got this. And she walked like she was a preacher. She walked like, she's like, I got this, I got this. I said, look up and tell all the people. She's like, I got this, I got this. She was 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there. I said, does your mom know? She said, no. I said, you need to go tell your mom. And you need to put out people that you need to put out. I kind of went through this list with her without these terms on it. And I said to her, I said, tell your mom you need your mom in your corner. The next week, she came back to church. She was with her mother. Her mother and her just both cried. Countenance completely. She was off of heroin. Seven days clean. She told me she was going to go to rehab to get her life together. But before she did that, she said, I want to show you something. And she rolled her sleeve up. She had tattooed on her arm where the track marks used to be, where the needle injections would go in. So every time she would even think about looking down and shooting up, she had, I got this tattooed on her wrist. You can clap. What I did with her that day is, is I asked Betty. I said, give me your phone. And I gave the phone to Betty. I said, Betty, take a picture of this moment. Because see, what happens is when life change happens, the devil will always try to talk you out of it. So I put my arm around her and I said, you're on this platform here and now. I said, what I want you to know is that God has forever changed your life. 
She went into rehab and then she moved away. What I didn't know is that the very day that I would choose to share this story, she would be sitting in the back of the auditorium. Just happened to be in town. It hasn't been easy for her, but she has this. She's got this. Will you stand on your feet? I don't know what maybe you need to let go of, but I know all of us have something we need to let go of. And I want to give you that opportunity today to use your faith and to get rid of doubt. Whatever it is that is causing you doubt in your life, can we just all close our eyes and bow our heads? If you've been struggling with doubts, with negativity that's coming into your mind, and you just today say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to live like that anymore. I'm done. Return to sender. Today is a new day, a new time, a new moment. I don't want to live life like that anymore. If that is you, just lift your hand up real quick. Just lift it up. Thank you, Jesus, for all the hands. Maybe you're in here today and you would say, you know what? I don't want to have doubts. The first hurdle I need to get over is whether I should be letting Jesus into my life or not. Maybe you're in this room and you're in that place. What I would love to do is I would love for all of us in this room to join together and to say this together. Say, Father God, we come to you with our open heart. God, in an open mind that you can renew. God, remove our negative thoughts. Replace them with your thoughts. God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for me on the cross And he was raised again so that I might be free. And I'll walk in that right now, this very moment, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and join us for online services. If you'd like to learn more about Freedom House or how you can become part of our church, visit our website at freedomhouse.cc.